0: How different do you think your life would be had you not gone for therapy?
1: I'd be dead. The two things, I'd be dead or I'd be without a job and I'd still be blaming my failures on people.
0: This is In Therapy. Conversations and stories about the pursuit of mental health. I'm your host Nabagazimanzi. Please note that this episode contains references to suicide. Listener's discretion is advised. Leah Dokoza was born in Lesotho in the early 1980s and raised by his grandmother alongside several other cousins. His family lived in extreme poverty and his grandmother could barely make ends meet. Both his parents did not live with him and he believes that his mother's absence especially made him vulnerable to neglect.
1: It's not a good thing to not have a mother around, even if whether she's poor or not. Because there's a lot of stuff that you miss. Sometimes you're reminded that your mom is not here. And you cry alone because you can't cry in front of them. This this for me still pains me that I was be I would always be blamed if money goes missing in the house. And that meant you'll be punished, you can't eat, you know. Your grandmother, my grandmother will whip me. And my, when my uncle comes as well, he would do the same. And so that also allowed a lot of people to get away with. there so much crime that was happening. And I, I was full of anger. And I was full of, like, why are these people doing this to me? And all their kids would be allowed to go to school. And I would be that guy who says, no, let him stay here. He will take care of, you know, the garden and, and, and the kettles and all of that. If your mother is not there, some people will only want to do things for their kids. So when they do things for you, you it, it, it's an exception.
0: As a child, Liedo was not close to his family members and instead felt disconnected and isolated from them.
1: I never really got to connect with my siblings, you know, everyone else in the house. I would just be there, but... I don't think any of them know exactly who am I. Even up to today, they still don't know me. They just taking me as this guy who... I mean, a lot of my family members even now, they don't even know the degree I hold. They don't even know most of the things that I have.
0: Ledger's sense of isolation and distance from his family was compounded by hurtful comments that people often made about his physical appearance.
1: I remember this other neighbor of mine who used to say that I I take the record for being the ugliest man that he has ever seen. And this was a man, a family man, you know, I was playing with his kids, you know. They gave me football nicknames of some of the ugliest soccer players they know. And it just told me that, look, because I've, I've been rejected so much, you know, When you're growing up in those years, you're a teenager, you just maybe sometimes just want to flex your muscle. You see a lady and you want to say, hey, hello. That's the first thing they tell you. You're not my type. You're too ugly. And and back then, people would just say it.
0: Do you remember how you felt as a child being told that you were ugly?
1: Yo, It used to kill me. You know, because sometimes you're just having a genuine conversation with maybe a, a young lady there. We're talking about, ah, oh, no, man, how can you, know what we saw. why, what, do? and you would see the embarrassment these ladies would somehow try to hide to saying, maybe I see that ugliness, but for now, you know. And I used to be so embarrassed for them because they would have to stomach the shame of being seen with me you feel ugly because people tell you that. You ended up believing it because you look that way. And I don't want to lie to you, that became a factor in my life on how I actually looked at myself, even beyond my teen years. I will always, always, always be aware that, look, guys, I'm too ugly. So I I do not belong in some of these circles here. Meaning I don't deserve... I cannot just have good friends, you know. When you're ugly, you have to hang around ugly people. And I couldn't find ugly people. <laughs>
0: <you know? laughs>
1: because I, I've never really, uh, ha- you know, labeled people. And so... But I'll still be around them. I'll still be around those very same people. And, you know, what, what I did was I wanted to buy the love. I wanted to do good things so that they can love me and they can stop saying those things.
0: In his mid-teens, Lieto moved to South Africa. And in this new environment, he began to flourish at school and in his social life. Even so, the neglect and sense of worthlessness of his early childhood had already settled in, and the first psychologist he ever saw noticed.
1: It was back in 2007 first, when I collapsed. I was with this lady, Isabel. She came to the township and just, you know, psychologist, we were part of an organisation called Tikaheng. So she said, I just want to talk to young men in the township and they got us together and she spoke to us first of all you want to label that she's white she's all these things she comes in here you don't really want to hear about the psychological stuff and all of you too hungry you know this person better come here and they must just say no i'm gonna give you guys money and do all of these things so you don't receive when someone speaks to you and i remember a few weeks later i collapsed then she came to see me and she was like, I see pain in your eyes. I see so much pain. And you don't you just just don't realize it. And you know, are you depressed, you all of these things, you gone through so much. And she just picked me out of all my friends and said, Your the degree of your pain was different. You you like to mask things, you like to just overlook things, you know, because you don't want to hurt people. Even when people have done wrong things to you, you overlook that to the detriment of your own soul. And she was saying that with so much kindness. And I was just like, no, man, I'm fine.
0: Even though he told himself that he was fine, he wasn't. His desperation to be accepted made him buy love from his friends and family, who in turn, as he says, took advantage because he battled saying no. And this sunk him deeper into a depression and debt. After the first incident, he collapsed again.
1: When I broke down in 2016, I think, in the office, it was like 26, and I was already sitting on minus, like, 200. And I just sat there. You can't even say, hey, Charlie, please just 100 randanyana for petrol. You have to get home to your spouse. And she's going to, where is the money? You want to be defensive also in that. And it's like, no, it's over corner because you're waiting for that revolving loan to come through. And so you are just every day, you know, getting by. You're not really leaving. And when you have all of the stresses, you know, in you like that, you're not even going to leave. You can't be happy. You can't even plan ahead. You can't because you, you are so confined to all of these problems here that you your mind is not clearer so it was a very toxic environment i got into that because i wanted to buy the love from the people and to be known as the guy who's very kind and nice and i'm naturally a nice guy and you know i don't know why i was actually just doing that purely because of how i grew up
0: Lejo's stress was also made worse by his need to buy expensive clothes as a way of overcompensating for his insecurities about his looks.
1: I've always been fully, fully cognizant of my looks before I can even approach people to saying, what are they looking at? Why are they looking at me like that? And that actually took me into a path that was very frustrating because I needed to buy clothes that were expensive and nice because no one, I cannot just walk in there and people say, oh, you look so handsome. No, I need to buy something else. And then that's when people will say, oh, wow, you look nice. I like your shoes. I like, you know, so they would not say anything about your natural features. They would just be mentioning shoes and that. And that's how I actually started coping with my life.
0: After Lieto collapsed at the office, his superiors suggested that he see a therapist. He was very open to the idea and felt finally ready to confront his troubles. When
1: I met my therapist now in 2016, um, I was so desperate to be honest that I did not want to leave anything out of it. I, I was just like, look, this is what I'm going through. I'm more than willing to do anything to get help. And she said to me, you can get help, but don't think that this is just you're going to come here two weeks, then you're fine, which I think is one of the things we take for granted. You feel that because you've gone over that hurdle of just going there, getting help after one or two sessions, then you can just relax, you know, Um, you not show up for some sessions and that's money for them. Sometimes you would want to be late because you feel like there are certain things that you can't really disclose. But they will still wait for you. They will will still wait for you. They will call you to order if you feel like you're taking their time for granted. And I felt challenged to be able to speak. And sometimes you can come in and say, no, I'm going to speak the truth. But as soon as you are sitting down, the thing just won't come out. You don't know how to put it down and you still feel like, because I'm, I'm I'm a man, I shouldn't just go in there and fall apart. But as soon as you start talking about certain things, then that's when you realize how heavy this must have been on you and you fall apart. And and they will say, look, go back, write a few things down, deal with one, two, three, and you come back, let's meet again in two weeks time or next week. Uh, but when you go back to the same world, that reminds you that, hey, you're just useless. It's a bit difficult to to get better because you're still confronted with the same reality when you go back. You can't even tell the people that you stay with that, hey, I'm going through this because that might actually be a label on you.
0: Who was the first person that you told that you were in therapy?
1: Most of my friends don't know that. I will hide it. I was very, I'm very secretive about it. As soon as you feel like people are judging you, you would not even open your mouth and tell them about things that are actually troubling you. So I would speak to people that sometimes maybe I haven't seen in a long time and try to be more vulnerable to them because vulnerability, when it's received well and not abused, it builds you. Because people don't get to talk to you. People listen to you and I just needed people to listen. And a lot of people will be like, you you're going through a lot and one, two, three and and people are very easy to think that because you're going through that you need money. It's not about money. Because some people will just be like, Ah no, don't worry, man. You know, uh, let's go out, let's go have gold, let's go have something else. I know five hundred and be like, No, I don't need money. So you realize that sometimes people don't actually understand fully what you're going through. So they just want to be there listen, maybe listen for 10 minutes and then after that, you know, the monetary situation would, and and it wasn't about that. It was just about the fact that most of my friends who are black also are, have, have not, some of them have not been to therapy. So they would not necessarily understand, you know, what it is, you know, what it is like to be in that situation.
0: While he was not quite ready to disclose to people that he was in therapy, during the sessions he appreciated the insights that he was gaining and valued his therapist's approach in particular.
1: The fact that that lady was so slow with me in the therapy because I wanted her to move quicker, she would still say, let's talk about... She would still be like, hmm, in 2016, October 17th, this is what you said. And when she tells you that, you feel like, did I say that? And they just want to check consistency in the things you say. Because if you're not consistent with what you say, you're never going to get out of that room with something tangible to say, okay, because most people do things and say things to manipulate the results. Even if you don't know your therapist, you want to manipulate the results. You want them to tell you the things that would make you feel better. Instead of, Also, being criticized to saying, Dude, I think you're lazy. I think your problem is that you always want to be right. Your problem also is one, two, three. Because you are a people's pleaser, you are putting yourself in all of these things, and this is why your life is in misery. You need to cut down on, you know, and those things were heavy to receive. I was challenged, and I was like, Who the hell does she think she is? But as you sit alone and you do a true, you know, introspection. Then you get to see that. Oh, okay, this person was actually telling the truth. So you would have moments where they would, you would be reminded of the things that you've said, and that actually, that's the only way that you'll be able to see whether you are consistent and honest with the things that you
0: tell people. In our conversation before this interview, mm. you had spoken about suicide attempts. Yes, three that you made. Are you comfortable talking about that?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's okay. It's okay.
0: Okay. Talk to me about what was going on in your mind. I'm sure it's different things at different times. Yes. Um, but what happens to you when you when you get to that point?
1: Um, yeah. What I can tell you is that, you know when you're battling something that you don't know, you just feel empty. Um, I would always confront this issue this way that, why is it that, When I'm not able to give, people don't love me. Does it mean that I only matter when I do certain things? So that when I don't have anything. And and, and that thing will make me so emotional. And then I began to see that I don't matter. Actually, I only matter to these people because of money. I only have friends out there who are also attracted to me because... You know, like there are friends in the township that know what I, they in the but they never really connected with me soul to soul. And because you suffer all this rejection, you feel like, oh, what's the point to live, you know, um, let me just take my life, you know, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. Liejo's first suicide attempt was in
0: 2008. He tells me that he took pills, but was discovered by a student living in the same res as him, who then insisted that he be taken to hospital. As for the second attempt, he preferred not to divulge the details due to the graphic nature of what he did to himself. But he was open to discussing his latest attempt, which he made in 2018.
1: My third one was earlier this year. I was just going through a normal day of, you know, work and all of that, going to Rosebank, but I buy normally buy those nice shirts there and I looked good. So there are always these triggers in your life. And then as I was talking to someone on the phone, then they somehow just insinuated something that was very negative. And I said, is this how you look at me all this time? And then... Once you've entered that tunnel, you can't even convince yourself otherwise. You don't want to get out of it. I just said, okay, no, this is, I'm going to to go. I'm just going to drive myself straight into um, Florida Lake. And I drove. But something in me began talking as I was driving. And I got there. I even, I had seen a spot before where I can just easily, very quickly drive the car in there before the people even recognize. But when I got there, there was an activity happening. And I just didn't have the guts to do it outside of that place. I just didn't have the guts to use a rope. I didn't have a gun. I remember asking a friend to say, where can I get a gun? He said, dude, I don't know. You don't even ask me about guns. And there was like, what's... Why do you need a gun? I said, dude, I wake up at 2 a.m. I leave my house at 2 a.m. to go to work. I, could, I can't, you know, chances of me being hijacked are like 90%. So I need something that's going to protect me. And he said, no, go to the gun shop then. I said, no, man, I need something very quick. I said, look, I don't know anyone who has legal guns. Just go to the, and Rodeport is full of those gun shops. Join, just go there but I just didn't have the guts to do it because I, I, to be honest with you, for the longest time, I felt empty. So I just wanted to eliminate myself and said, I don't really matter to most people.
0: Did you tell your therapist about your last suicide attempt?
1: I... It was, it was, it was like... You're too embarrassed because it's like we spoke in 2016, coming, coming... Then you're telling me that during the whole therapy thing, you still wanted to give up, you know. and But she was very kind. And she reminded me, said, look, remember I told you that this is a journey. It's not a once-off event that most people come in, they see us, come for one or two sessions. Then after that, once they start seeing results, then they relax. And she said... That suicide attempt somehow opened your eyes to a lot of things because the way you're talking to me now, it's very different. Because I had I was speaking as someone who was saying, Look, I've I've actually learned to cut off a lot of things in my life that are sort of somehow it's like you need to prune all these unnecessary things because they add so much weight. At home when I was I went earlier this year I said guys I can't take I can't take this anymore. I spent so much money maintaining you guys and you guys are being ungrateful. The, the battle that was internal before I could say that was massive. In fact, I felt it would be easier for me just to hang myself and not tell them. Because if you tell them that you can't support them anymore, they're going to you know, victimize you. They're going to say a lot of things. And they did. They did. They labeled me. But I felt better after that to say at least i said it in as much as people will hate me so you have to be fully aware and cognizant of things like that that sometimes you're going to be so honest that other people are going to be offended by your truth but it's that is you dealing with the issue and making sure that you're putting yourself first because one thing about external approval is that people always have the last say you know people always say no 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 people budget, you know, plan events based on your budget. And they will just tell you, we need four grand. And that's the money that you have. Sometimes that's the money that is between you and their kids. And they'll be like, I'll just give it to them because you want to buy that love. And as you do that, then you've you've failed. But you feel for five minutes you're happy because you managed to come through. It's like you're a hero for them. But that is actually a recipe for disaster for you. Because you're never going to be happy. After that, you broke. You have to go to your friends and borrow money for petrol and for other things. And when they now start being honest with you, or saying, you need to be honest with your family, you need to be what, what. Then you begin to hate them and say, no, who the hell do you think you are, man? How can I leave my family and that? So I had to speak, in therapy, I had to speak extensively on, on, on what now we call black text. How that almost destroyed me because... I I remember telling my family that you guys don't love me because when I see a phone call from home, I know it's money. It's nothing else. I know it's trouble, and and that's exactly how it all happened. And when you speak to them, they become very defensive. They won't. They're not gonna say yes or no. No, they literally just said, "Look, dude, we need to know if you you are in or out." And after taking a pause and I was like, I think I'm out. And that was it. And people, you know, and then after that, people say a lot of things about you. And purely because I was also being very honest, you know, with them for a change. Because if you're not honest when you go through moments of terror, because what you receive there, you have to go back and implement you don't just go in there to speak so that you can feel good. you have to go back and implement those things and if you you've implemented half of them and half you couldn't, you need in your next session you'll then be able to unpack all of those things, and some of them you begin to see as you go uh that you need to put yourself first, you need to love yourself, you need to make people respect you. One it's not the other way around. You need to set your brand out there as a person to say this is who I am. You take it or leave it. You know, you cannot be loved by everybody. And so I think I had to battle a lot with disappointing people. That's why I will do so much for them to the point where I will run myself into serious debt, you know, that um, I'm still struggling to pay. And um, because you want to be seen as the hero. And once you lose that status, you know, You don't matter anymore to people.
0: Although Lieto lost the status of being a hero for others, he believes that he gained so much for himself and those around him are reaping the benefits. For instance, friends of his who are men are more open to engaging about mental health.
1: I have a lot of friends now who are actually calling me to saying, look, let's have a support group for men. These are some of people that I thought, You know, like nothing could touch them. And now as soon as we start learning that if we can just be more vulnerable, you know, we can actually achieve a lot. I write a lot of stuff on Facebook, also as part of my therapy as well. And and people start picking up a lot of things there. And I, I would still want to continue with my therapy maybe for the next five years again to be able to be in a solid space that I think maybe this could be something that we need to talk about more and talk, talk to, like I have, a, my son is seven, but you can already see signs of pain in him. You know, every I don't stay with him. So when I go there, when I leave, he won't cry. But I remember this other time he cried so bad, like he, like he broke down. And he couldn't speak. He just he just wouldn't speak. And when I went back, all he did was just get into the car and say, just drive. And I didn't realize that he's actually going through so much pain because I'm absent in his life. And there are so many fathers who are also absent. And they are battling a lot of things that we don't know. But when you sit down and talk to them, then you get to pick up a lot of common things in between to saying one of the things is that we need to swallow our prides you know understand where we've messed up and and then take full responsibility for those things because just because you're going through uh, a, a moment of you know let's say a period of depression in your life you're battling that it doesn't mean everything else that has affected you that way it's, it's because you were the victim or you was always right. There are moments where you've really wronged people, where you've done wrong. You still need to reconcile yourselves to that as well so that you can fully heal. Because if you ignore certain things and you do, you only deal with certain things, you still have a lot of things that you've not dealt with. So therefore, you won't be able to move forward. And men, we have a way to cut corners. We have a lot of enablers in our group. So we, we don't necessarily speak the truth entirely and so we just like to brush off issues and now we are young yeah, and this thing and that thing is very lethal it's very deadly it, it has killed and destroyed so many of them
0: while Liedo has already been in therapy for the last three years and has seen positive results he remains committed to the process and wants to see it through
1: i'm still pretty much deep in my therapy um, I don't know, I take it for granted. But what has emerged out of it is that I'm able to have confidence in myself. Um, I trust myself enough. Um, And I'm confident, man. I'm, I'm actually now embarking on a book that I'm writing. And it's just about my life and my struggles and how I battled this whole thing. And what... If you live a lie, how much that can actually destroy you? Because living a lie, you won't even see that you're living a lie. You're living a lie because you want to be accepted. You want to belong. You want to belong into these circles. And when you do that, you compromise so much. You you will never in any way use any of your true qualities to be able to get things. And that destroys you. So I'm just purely just doing that and... And I'm I'm more relaxed. And I've accepted myself fully now.
0: Thank you to my guest Leo Dokosa for being so open to sharing his story with me. Dinika Naidu was the producer of this episode and Siphamandla Yende is the engineer. We end off with the song Breathe by Zasha from her album Therapy. So the stars